You be seated. John chapter 13 tonight. John chapter 13. John 13. Now we'll go to the Lord's table tonight, so I'm going to try and uh, go through this, and then we'll go straight to the table, and we will look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 before we do. <clears throat> but as we come to the table, just, just put a couple of things in, in our minds, right? Uh, first of all, the table carries no miraculous power by itself. Many churches believe it does, and it doesn't. Right? When we come to the Lord's table, what we're doing is we're remembering and we were charged by the Lord Jesus Christ to remember what he did for us uh, until he comes again. Right? So we're going to keep remembering. We're going to remember that 2,000 years ago, uh, a man, the God-man, hung on a cross and died to pay the price for our sins. And because he hung there and died and paid the price for my sins, I am now God's child and I am going to heaven. We're going to remember. We're going to keep that in mind. See, if we keep that in mind, we'll never get beyond ourselves. Right? <clears throat> Uh, we, we keep in mind the fact that, you know what, my claim to a- any hope in the future is that a Savior died for me, right? And <clears throat> the other thing I want to say to this, if you're not saved tonight, obviously you wouldn't partake of the table. It's something you do after you're saved. In fact, we would ask if you're not saved and you're not baptized, we'd ask you not to partake uh, of the table until you're saved and until you're baptized. Just hold off until then, right? <clears throat> and, um, you know, if you want to get baptized, let us know. We, we will organize that for you. But, but hold off uh, until then. But <clears throat> one of the things we need to remember when we come to the table, and we can easily, glibly pass over this one. We can either pass over it or we can make too much of it. When it comes to the table, we're supposed to be clean, before our Heavenly Father. See, we're remembering the fact that a Savior paid the price for sin. So what that means to me is I was a sinner and my sin had earned me a place in hell, but Jesus died to pay the price for my sin. So I turned my back on my sin to the Savior and he saved me. Now, it would be a travesty for us to actually go into the Lord's table and not to deal with sin before then. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Dealing with sin is not a hard thing. God does not make it hard for us to deal with sins. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will do it like that. We need to deal with it uh, for him to do it. But the thing we can't do and shouldn't do is just gloss over and say, well, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. It's just the way of life and all the rest. But no, if there's something between you and God tonight that needs to be dealt with, you know what? Great night to deal with it. <clears throat> don't leave and say, well, I don't want to par- partake of the table. Not stay and deal with the sin as the Lord <clears throat> uh, uh, brings it to your mind. Now, having said that, I'm not going to go through sins and, and, and a list of sins or anything like that tonight. That's uh, between you and the Lord. We'll give you, give you an opportunity so the Lord can actually search your heart and you can actually uh, look to him to do that. But I do want to take us through uh, in John chapter 13. Now, John chapter 13 uh, is where the Lord's table would be if John actually recorded it, but he didn't record it. All the other Gospels do, um, but John doesn't record it. And John, uh, you know, John is chock full of stuff to help us see who Jesus was, that Jesus was the Son of God. And he catches some things for us here in John chapter 13 that are really helpful to us. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to verse 35, and then we're going to leave it. But let's have a word of prayer, and then let's just begin to read. Father, would you bless us? Lord, we do love you. 
And Lord, we are so grateful and so thankful that you sent your son to die for us. Now we come to look at your word, and Lord, we, we understand, Lord, that by ourselves we can't interpret, we can't work it out, but oh, blessed Spirit, uh, your work is to interpret, and your work, it is, work is to illuminate, and your work is to show us truth. Now, Lord, would you take each heart that's here tonight and show us truth? Or may we go to the table uh, with a picture of you in our hearts that's true and real from the Scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 13 and verse 1. <clears throat> now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were on, in the world, he loved them unto the end. Did you know that Jesus was crucified around the time of the Passover? Now, that's interesting because Jesus is the Lamb of God. And the Jews were used to slaying a lamb um, at the Passover every year. They, they, they killed a lamb for the remission of sins, for the payment for sins. And really what they were doing is they were picturing what was going to happen on this Passover. That Jesus was the lamb. He, was, he is the Passover. And they were picturing that. And supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now, uh, verse 3 says he knew who he was. You know, some people would have you believe that he didn't know who he was. He knew who he was. He was fully God. He wasn't afraid of it. He wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't hiding from it. He was fully God, and he knew it. Right? Now, uh, our picture of God is vastly different from the picture that God gives us of God in Jesus. And Hebrews tells us that, that he is the express image of the Father, that Jesus is not just, uh, you know, the Son the young fellow, that Jesus is actually the image of God, right? And he knew who he was. But look what he says in verse 4. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, that was the work of a slave. A slave or a servant in the household would wash your feet. Dusty land, people traveled in sandals, you know, so no matter how clean you were, by the time you came to the house, uh, your feet were dusty again. And so what happened is, as you would come, the slave would take a basin, uh, and he would gird himself, and he would wash your feet. And that's what Jesus did for the disciples that night. Now, Peter, who's always the one to come out with it, um, <coughs> reacts to it. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Then shalt thou never wash my, thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Do you know that Peter, he's still in the place where he thinks he's really the man. And he thinks he can handle it all, and he thinks he's going to do it. And Jesus says, You can't, Peter. If I don't take care of washing you, you're never going to be washed because you can't do it for yourself. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. She saith unto him, He that is washed need not save 
to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Right? <clears throat> so he had washed them with the word, they were clean. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore said he, are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken, and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that uh, is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now, understand this. Jesus is their Lord and Master, but he's more than that. He's God. He's the Lord of Lords, and he's the King of Kings. He is the supreme being of the universe. Listen to a sermon yesterday, and, and I read a fact that just kind of spun me out completely. I think I've read it before, but I have the ability to read something and forget it. Do you know that as you sit on this world right now, um, <clears throat> and it's nice and happy and stable, isn't it? It feels good and, good and stable under your foot. We're actually spinning at a thousand miles an hour. Now, that's not bad enough. We're also traveling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. This is not stable at all. This whole thing is moving. Our perspective on it, though, is that it's stable. And I'm happy that it looks stable. I wouldn't like to have the headache you would have if you perceived it to be traveling uh, that fast. Now, do you know why the earth was spinning like it was? Do you know whose power it was and is? The man who just washed their feet. The Bible says that he sustains it all. That it's by his power. That this incredibly powerful being, with power like we can't even comprehend for a minute, this person that exudes power like that stood amongst men and he girded on a towel and he washed their feet. And what was he teaching us? teaching us humility. That's what he was teaching us. He was teaching us to be humble. We're not better than him. He's the master. And we need to understand that. We need to be humble. You know, we've been talking about love on a Sunday morning, and <clears throat> we've been talking about it for several weeks. Do you know that one of the great enemies of love is pride. It's kind of hard to love when you're proud, and it's kind of hard to l- it's kind of hard to love someone when you're proud, and it's kind of hard to love someone who is proud, isn't it? <coughs> and pride gets in the way. And you know, we're Baptists, and ba- ba- Baptists have some interesting traditions. One of the traditions that Baptists have is that uh, preachers don't wear different clothes than the people. You know, now we go to most other churches, they're going to have a collar on the priest, like because he's on the priest or the other pastor, because he's different to the people. But you know what? The reason Baptist preachers don't wear collars is because they're not different. They're just the same. The Bible says that there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. That there's only one mediator. And you know what? The whole thing is for us to understand there's not a hierarchy here. 
None of us are better than each other. Every one of us comes to Christ on our knees, sinners, broken, helpless, hopeless, and he saves. And that's for all of us. We need to remember that. Do you know it's so easy for us to get proud? It's so easy for us to get proud of our group, our party, ourselves, and to look down on other people because, you know, they're, they're not like us. We can be proud of our self-righteousness. We can be proud of our group. We can be proud of our position. We can be proud of all kinds of things. And you know what? That's not the way our Savior was. And it comes between us. It creates a problem for us. We're not supposed to be proud. Now, we don't do foot washing. Some churches do. Um, <clears throat> and you know, that would be just, I don't know, in an Irish culture, that just seems really tacky, doesn't it? If I came down with a bowl and a dish and a, and a towel to wash your feet tonight, I mean, you'd be checking your socks and everything else and saying, you know, <clears throat> it's just tacky to our culture. But, you know, the whole thing is for us to understand we're not better than him. And he did it. So we need to humbly serve each other. Serve each other with humility. Not about you. It's about serving each other with humility. When we come to the table, this is, by the way, the context that the table is coming in. This is the context in which he's going to do the table. He does the uh, washing of the feet, and then he does the table, right? Back to our text here, though. Um, Verse 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me and hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Now I can understand him being troubled in spirit, can't you? He's walked with these men now for three years. He's fed them. He's cared for them. He's taught them. He's loved them. Uh, <clears throat> he's washed their feet. He's done everything for these men. And one of them is going to betray him. In fact, there's an allusion there uh, to the fact <clears throat> that he's lifted up his heel against me. Picturing what Satan had, uh, was going to do to the Lord Jesus, right? Um, <clears throat> when Jesus had... Sorry, uh, verse 22... Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John. John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And it's it's not out of pride. He's actually not naming himself purposefully. All the other guys uh, knew that John was the beloved disciple. Now we have a hard time with that. You know, it looks like Jesus was playing favorites. It looks like he had one that was favorite. Well, he did. That's the reality of it. There was one that was closer to him uh, somehow uh, than all the rest. And um, <clears throat> John is the one. And John at the, at the table uh, is actually leaning on his breast. He is leaning on Jesus, right? Uh, literally, not just figuratively. He is leaning on him. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, that's John, that he should ask him who it, would be, uh, <clears throat> who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. 
And when he had dipped the sup, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sup, Satan Satan entered into him, and then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man knew that no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, he, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Now, Satan entered into Judas at this moment, <clears throat> which is a terrifying picture. By the way, it wasn't a demon that possessed him. It was Satan that possessed him. Satan entered into Judas at this moment, and um, what's just happened, although the disciples don't understand it, is that the battle has just been engaged. The enemy has stepped up now, and he's going to push and fight and do everything that he can to destroy Jesus And when Jesus won't be destroyed, he's going to do everything he can to destroy the disciples. And he's been doing it ever since. Right? The battle's on. The battle has just been joined now, and it continues to this day. Now, and Jesus gives them some careful counsel at this point. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say unto you. Right? And then he gives them a new commandment. In the context of what he's just said, he's been a servant to them, he's humbled himself, He's just watched watched Judas with Satan in him walk out the door, and now he gives them some counsel. Now, wouldn't you think the counsel is going to be important that he gives them now? Wouldn't you think what he says to them next? If you were sitting there, now, the guys didn't really understand all that was going on, but if you were sitting there and you knew what was going on, wouldn't you be saying, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to write it down, Lord. You say it. Whatever it is that you've got to say, now I'm there. I want to hear it. Here's what he says to them. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. What does he say to them? He tells them to love one another as he has loved them. And he tells them to do this thing we were talking about this morning called love. It's back to that again. He tells them they're to love one another. You know what? They're going to face a horrible weekend. They're going to see the unthinkable happen. They're going to see Jesus go to the cross. Unthinkable. They're going to watch him die. They're going to watch all their dreams evaporate. They're going to, in the context of the thing, become highly suspect in their society and their culture because they were with them. It's going to get bad for them. And it's going to continue to get bad for them. And you know what Jesus says? Love one another. Do you know that we're supposed to love one another? 
We're supposed to love one another because it's rough out there. This is supposed to be a place that you can come to and you can feel loved. The early church made the Lord's table a love feast and they abused it. And Paul is actually dealing with it in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're going to read. But you know what? They came together and they loved being together. They came together and they wanted to be together. Very easy for us to come to the place where we're just putting up with each other, isn't it? It's very easy for us to come to the place where, you know what, we're proud. Where we're cutting with each other. Where we're really not loving one another. And when it comes to the table, the Lord Jesus says, I want you to love one another. Now, I understand it's impossible. It's impossible because, you know what? There are people in Christianity that would drive you mad. But he didn't tell you to do it by yourself. He said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. He said, love one another. Then you can do it. You know, we can do it. And the interesting thing he he does here, we've read it before, is that he makes it the mark of Christianity. If I ask you what the mark of Christianity is, you could say, well, you know, it's a spire on the top of the church. If I ask you what the mark of Christianity is, you might say, well, it's the doctrine that we believe. If I ask you what the mark of Christianity is, you might say, well, it's the fact that we're all born again. And all those things have their own truth to them. But that, that, none of those are the things that Jesus said was the mark of Christianity. The mark of Christianity is that we love one another. So what have we got to do to love one another? <clears throat> well, we've got to cry out to him and ask him to do it in our hearts because we can't. We're not able. Not on the level he's talking about. We've got to cry out to him and ask him would he do it. And he can do it in our hearts. And as we come to the table tonight, let's ask him to do that. Do you know, there never has been a revival in the church of the living God without the people of God getting right with each other. There never has. There never has been a revival that's come down from heaven without the people of God actually getting right with each other, actually making things right with each other. You say, such a simple thing for such a profound impact on the world. Yeah. So tonight, as we go to the table, let's take time. and Let's ask the Spirit of God to search us and see if there's anything in us that needs to be dealt with. Let's do it right now. And then we'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, would you bless us? Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work in the hearts of your people? Lord, we do indeed love you. Lord, to be honest, you're easy to love. But Lord, it's harder to love each other. And it's harder to walk with each other, Lord, in a common bond. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work in hearts? Would you deal with us? Oh, Lord, may it never be the dealing of a man, but may it be the dealing of you, the Holy Spirit. And would you bless and would you draw your people through? In Jesus' name.